Thank you, Lee and Tina and the Chancel Choir. Appropriate song for us today on Pentecost Sunday. The battle was raging between two kingdoms. And this would be a strategic battle. It would be a battle that would lean one kingdom over another. It would tip the scale. And so it was critical that one go into this battle in a strong way. And there was a a warrior, and he had a sword. And he looked at his sword, and he looked at the, uh, the adversary, the enemy, and he was overwhelmed. And then he looked at his sword, and it was bent and out of alignment from the handle, and the end of it was broken off, and it had been dinged and nicked, and it had no shine to it anymore. And he thought, how, how can I use this? If I had a sword like the king's son, who's a warrior also, his is much better. Mine is so imperfect. And in disillusionment, he threw it down and ran from the battle. Paul says, while I have not obtained it, perfection that is, I press on toward the heavenly prize. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you've gathered us together as very imperfect people. Our recognition today is we have imperfections, failures, mistakes that are a part of our story. And yet we look to you, the author and the redeemer of love and of our faith, And now we ask that you would help us to move forward in all that we are and all that we are not. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable unto you, Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The Apostle Paul helps us with these words. He says, not that I've already obtained perfection... But I press on. There is a paradox of perfection in the concept in Scripture. And it's interesting how John Wesley, the father of our movement, got a hold of this concept. A theological concept, and it is a paradox. It's a strange thing. Christian perfection, or a word he would use, sanctification. He would affirm that there is absolute perfection that is available, not in this world, but in the next. He says and hints at that, that if it is possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. And what he's saying is that in that moment, there will be a glorification of the body. It will be a moment of perfection, perfection, ultimate sanctification where the body 
and the mind and the soul are completed and refined into excellence and absolute perfection. And he references that. And we would affirm that as Christian perfection, a kind of perfection we will not achieve in this world. Because we're human. But then there's another side, the paradox of perfection, Christian perfection, in that there's a sense in which while we're not perfect, we press on. Because later in the verses that were read by Gary, it says, let those of us then who are mature, perfect, fully mature, be of the same mind. So Paul, what are you saying? Are you saying, while on one hand we can be perfected and glorified and absolutely completed in the process when we get to heaven, but you're saying those of us who are mature and perfect, when translation says, keep this in mind. And I think what he was suggesting, I think what John Wesley would affirm, is not that we're somehow extra human. We are all human. And we're not exempt from being human in terms of sin and mistakes. But there is a Christian perfection that can take place in our lives over the length of our lifetime that has to do with the state of our heart. In fact, we we heard it sung today, and breathe on me breath of God. Breathe on my heart until it is pure. I, I think with the Uh, the hymnist was trying to say, and what John Wesley was trying to say, and what Paul originally was saying was, there comes a point where we recognize that we're going to make mistakes, that we've come up short, but we've said, God, I want you to have my heart so completely, I want to yield to your will so absolutely that my intention is this. John Wesley said, Christian perfection in this life is when we say with our heart, God, I love you with all of my heart, and I love my neighbor as myself. And so it's a perfection of the will. It's a perfection of the intent of who we are. And that's sanctifying grace. We cannot do that on our own. But it's something that God grows us into, and it's a lifelong process. And so what he's saying is, that process continues. And although I am not perfect, he says, in the ultimate sense, my daily aim is to grow in a maturity, in a single-mindedness, to be the very best I can be for God. He says, beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. It's interesting, at my ordination, 25 years ago, it's hard to believe, a question was asked that is asked of every ordinary, every person that goes before the consecrating event of being ordained. And it's this question. And John Wesley asked the original pastors to answer this question. It's still asked today. And it'll be asked of the candidates at annual conference this year. 
Are you moving on to perfection? Are you moving on to perfection? And our response is that of Paul. Yes, while I am not perfect, I press on. And sometimes it's hard to be positive. Sometimes we have that condition of being defeated. Many of us feel defeated coming into this place today because of our failures, because of our falling short, because of our humanity, because of the imperfection in who we are. Much like that soldier who stuck his sword in the sand and ran from the battle. We ask the question, what's the use anyway? And yet the Bible tells us that even in the most perfect situation, there is imperfection in groups, in organizations, and in individuals. I mean, think about Jesus and the disciples and how he went through that process of nominating them and selecting them. It says he spent a night in the hills praying, God, who would you choose? Who should I select? And let me remind you of the responsibilities they would have. Now, think about who he chose. Someone that would betray him. Someone that would deny him. Others that would run from him. Now, suppose he waited until he found the perfect group of disciples. There never would have been a Christian church. There never would have been Pentecost. The poor condition of those disciples is a message for us. For we are so much like them. I mean, after teaching in a parable, he would say, how blind you are, how deaf you are, O ye of little faith. And even after the resurrection, after he had emptied the tomb and risen from the dead, one of them said, Lord, is this the moment when you're going to establish your kingdom? They were still thinking politically. They had missed the whole concept of the kingdom that he was ushering in. And Jesus must have been disappointed because he, he takes this imperfect group and he, he works with them. And yet in a beautiful way, he makes them ultimately into who he wants them to be. I think about my roommate from Alapahal, Georgia. Maybe some of you know where Alapahal, Georgia is. And he was my roommate in college in my freshman year at Asbury College. And I got to tell you, he, um, he was a ladies' man. I mean, the women were drawn to him. And uh, they kind of fell over him. And, and he'd get in a dating relationship with one of them. And then he'd come back and I'd say, man, she's, she's awesome. And he'd say, oh, yeah, but she's a little quirky. And then he'd go out with another one and get in a serious relationship. And I'd say, man, she's something. And he'd say, yeah, but she's kind of eccentric. And he said, I, I'm, I'm just looking for the perfect girl. Well, I would move on, and we graduated, and he became an eye physician and 
moved to middle Georgia, and I eventually would move to middle Georgia, and Dewey and I got married, and, and he came over to my house, and I said, how's it going? He said, well, I'm dating this girl. And I said, well, how's it going? And he said, well, I don't know. She's a little strange. <laughs> and I said, well, help me, Matt. How can we help you? He said, I, I want to find that one perfect girl out there. And I, I said, well, Matt, i got to tell you, you're not going to find, you're not going to be able to find and land that one perfect girl. And Delia was in the room, and I said, because I already found her. <laughs> I got some mileage out of that. <laughs> well, it's interesting. It's interesting that he started dating a girl who didn't think he was all that. And it became a challenge. And she ended up being the perfect girl. <laughs> While I may not have reached perfection, I press on. A lot of us don't take that step of faith because we want to evade responsibility. We want to say, well, you know, it's just not the perfect time. Or, or we often fail to allow God to really develop our spiritual gifts because we say, you know, I just don't know that I'm ready. Well, you know, God is more impressed with availability than He is ability. Chesterton, British pastor, once said, it is, if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. Now, isn't that interesting? We've always heard something different. We've heard, if a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing well. But I think what he's trying to do is stir us up a little bit to say, you know, there's no perfect time to do something great. You need to seize the opportunity to step into what God has for you. You need to press forward. You need to recognize that God has a call upon your life, and there's probably no perfect time for you to step forward in faith. What do I mean by that? I mean, think about how the, the United Methodist, the movement of the Methodist church, I mean, can you think of a worse place to start a church than on a tombstone in a cemetery? Well, John Wesley's preaching was so biblical and so fiery and people were being drawn in numbers that the Church of England was intimidated and they closed their doors to him. What if he had waited and said, you know, I, I, I'm going to quit preaching until the Church of England says, come on up and step into the pulpit, John Wesley. You're one of us. You're an ordained uh, pastor and priest. Come on. Well, the Methodist Church would have never happened if he had waited for the perfect time. And I think about this church, and I think about Pittman Park, and, and our story, and how in 1956, how land was turned here. And I, I want to say that there were probably some uh, at First Methodist said, we got to wait for the perfect time. This is not a good time to plant a church. And, and others in the community said, are you sure? I mean, do you have a plan? I mean, there's nothing out here. But in faith, you said, we believe God has something special for us, and so we're going to press on. While may, not everything may be perfect, we're going to press on. 
And, and I think about the million dollar renovation. And, and, and uh, somebody thanked me yesterday after this sanctuary was absolutely full and uh, hundreds of people in here for that funeral. And I remember a day when I first got here uh, when we had large funerals and we burned up. And somebody thanked me yesterday, a member of the church, and said, thank you so much that you and the leadership were able to press forward and get us some AC in these buildings that actually works. And I, and I think about how we've renovated our children and youth wing and how our nursery is overflowing. You know, we had a lot of headwinds we were running up against and people were saying, you know, the economy isn't that great. And are you sure this is a good time? Well, I need to tell you, there was no good time to do a renovation. And yet today I sat in a room full of seniors that was so inviting. And they were so grateful. And I'm just glad that you pressed on. Even though not everything was perfect, you pressed on. And that's the kind of church that you are. So many of us say things like, maybe, maybe others, I, hey, I'm going to start going to church when I get my life straightened out. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Because you don't ever really get your life completely straightened out. And, and others say, well, you know, when I find more time, I'm going to step into a ministry. Well, you're really not going to find any more time. You're just going to have to reprioritize. There's never going to be a perfect time to step into missions and ministry and volunteering. Or I'm going to give up that habit once I get to this place. There's not going to be a perfect time. But God has a perfect plan for us, and he says this in that same letter, he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. God has allowed us that experience, the one I talked about in terms of the renovation and other personal experiences, to shape us and perfect us and move us as, as pliable clay. And Paul says, not that I've been perfected, but this one thing I will do, I will not look back, but I will press on and press forward. I think about something uh, that takes place in our homes, in our Christian homes, and, and um, devotional times or times of prayer. And one of the things we did uh, when the kids were little was have uh, Monday night missionary night. And our refrigerator was covered with missionaries. You've seen them, those little postcards. We've had them come into the church, and, and I've gotten to know some of the missionaries through the church and through seminary. And, and on Monday night, we have missionary night. We'll pull off a postcard. Somebody gets a chance to do that. Jordan will go grab one. We'll put it out in front. And uh, i got to tell you, it was bedlam when we first started because our kids were so small. I mean, we had, Jacob was 10, and Rebecca was 6, and, and uh, Jacob really wasn't all that interested. And, and Rebecca was running around the table at the supper table. And Jordan was pounding on the high chair. And I'm saying, okay, tonight's missionary night, and let's look at this family, and here they are. You know, it's chaos. And in the middle of it, you know, I don't know what it is about little boys, but sometimes little boys just fall off their chair for no reason. And Jacob would just fall off gravity, just at work. And, and I would think, is this worth it? Well, I've got to tell you, if we miss missionary night, one of them will say, Daddy, it's missionary night. Who are we going to pull off the fridge? Now, that wasn't a perfect situation early on. 
And some would say, you know, are they getting anything out of that? But I want to suggest to you that in some of the most imperfect situations, God can do some of his greatest work. And I've even said to my children and my oldest child, he said, Tim, he said, Dad, uh, he didn't call me Tim. He said, uh, Dad, he said, Dad, why is it that you let Jordan do that, but you didn't let me? You ever heard that? And, and the first answer is very honest, because I'm tired. <laughs> but the other is, I'm not the same parent I was. And while there are some things that are the same, maybe I've loosened up a little bit. But the good news is a scripture that I claim, and it's this, love covers a multitude of sins. And no matter what we do or not do, you'll always know that we love you. And he's good with that. And you know, I think about that when it comes to our marriages. I think about that when it comes to our children. I think about that when it comes to our church. And our understanding of the effective, imperfect witness of the church, I'm reminded of a story that took place during a revival. I had asked a, a fellow, a friend of mine, to preach a revival. And man, he was great. And the altar time was full. People responded to the invitation. And as we were praying with different individuals, one woman recommitted her life to Christ. And it was a great moment. We prayed together. And the revival fellow, the guy that I brought in for the revival, he asked her, he said, now, you said you're not affiliated with this church. Do you have a home church? And she said, I don't, I don't really affiliate with any earthly organization." And, and you know what? She, she's right in the sense that the church is imperfect. You're going to find that in the church there are going to be sermons that are too long or too short. There's going to be music that's good and there's going to be music that's not so good. There's going to be people that are old and there are going to be people that are young. There are going to be hypocrites. There's going to be imperfect pastors. I'm surprised you didn't say amen. In fact, Bill, Bill Bagwell's coming, and I need to let you know, he is a really good guy. You're going to like him. You're going to come to love him. And as I shared with you, he's well-behaved. In contrast to others. But I need to let you know this. He's not going to be perfect. He's not going to be perfect. And so you need to love him anyway. Do you hear me? And that's important. Because he'll bring the word of God. Maybe in an imperfect sermon. After the sermon at the 845 service, somebody said, that was a good message, but it wasn't perfect. When it comes to the witness of the church, I ask you this. Is there any other organization in the world like the Christian church? that can change people, that can expose them to the transforming Word of God. To give them new life through the message of the Gospel. 
Guess what? It's done through imperfect people, through an imperfect church that points them to a perfect God with an eternal message. There's no organization like the church. In fact, it's not an organization. It's a living being. It's an organism. I still love that story of the uh, soldiers during World War I that were uh, crunched and, and crowded into a, a train car and uh, they had their weapons on them. One of them had a, an accordion and he was playing and they were singing and they were, they were drunken. I mean, they had, they had been drinking and they were singing some old bar tunes and some of them were a little vulgar, some of them got a little obscene. And then finally one of them who was drunk said, hey, let's do that one song. I remember a song from church. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Remember that? And the accordion was like, yeah, I remember that. And he starts, uh, starts playing. And, and all of a sudden, all these drunken soldiers began to sing, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. And, and they were singing a song that they remembered. And one of them said, I remember when my grandmother would bang that out on the piano in church. Well, I need to tell you that was probably a church that had an imperfect pastor with an imperfect attitude piano with imperfect people. But seeds were planted that he was never able to get away from. Isn't that wonderful? That God can take something so imperfect and do something supernatural with it to achieve his will. That's what Paul was saying. He was saying, while I'm not perfect, while I don't have it all together, I'm going to press on toward the prize. And I'm not going to look back, but I'm going to head forward. The king's son was in the raging battle, and he, he fell to the ground himself. And he thought, it's over. My father's kingdom is over. I have failed my own people who've looked to me. He had lost his sword somewhere along the way. And in a moment of disillusionment, he, he turned and he saw a sword that another soldier had left behind that had stuck in the sand. It was dented. It was broken off on the end. It was out of alignment from the handle. It did not have a shine. Do you remember that sword? He crawled over to it. In a moment of courage, he grabbed that imperfect sword that had been battered and beaten. And he lifted it high. And he cried out to the rest of his soldiers and rushed into battle. And they won the day. They won the war. What a beautiful thing when God can take someone fallen like me, someone broken like you, and do something wonderful through the power of His Holy Spirit. He can do something beyond natural, supernatural to do His will. Congratulations. He's chosen you to, the, to do the great work of the gospel on His behalf. Now, if you're perfect, this message wasn't for you. In fact, you can leave early if you'd like. But if you're like me, 
It's a message that I need to hear, even after 25 years of ministry, that God can still use me, and I know he will use you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.